the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of The Situation Report, where we do our best to give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. And one of the areas that we have hoped culture would change over the last couple of months is in the riots we've seen across the country. We have even interviewed someone who is embedded with Antifa and who's done much reporting on this, Richie McGinnis. We interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I think our thought was that by now, Mm-hmm. This is something that would have come and gone. Yeah, it kind of faded off. And uh, I think the question people have right now is, when will it fade off? Right. Will it fade off after November 3rd, January 1st? I mean, I think everyone's looking like... <laughs> is this our new is, normal? Is, is 2020 going to end yeah. and 2021 is going to be all better? Yeah. Uh, when's this stuff going to end? Yeah. And, uh, and thankfully, Richie McGinnis, our expert on Antifa, has come back on with us today. And excited to have a conversation with him about uh, this and uh, many of the other things that are happening right now. Uh, but the world exploded, and it continues to be on fire. Rich McGinnis is the chief video director of The Daily Caller and has done extensive reporting on Antifa um, in Portland and elsewhere, embedded with Antifa. Uh, some incredible reporting. And, again, recently on with us. Uh, we've got some specific questions, but last time we had you on, I don't think we really got into your, your personal story. Uh, how does a guy end up doing what you're doing. Can you can you tell us kind of your journey to, to this point? Um, I think a lot of people miss this in your story. You, you are becoming more popular. People are watching the stuff that you've produced, the video, and, and read the stuff you've written. But um, how do you get to a place like this? Well, where do I begin? I think I, I guess a good place to begin would be when I moved down to Washington, D.C. in 2008 to attend Georgetown University. And at that time, actually, that was August of 2008, so I was actually, uh, I had the distinct privilege of knocking on doors for Barack Obama's campaign yeah. in Virginia, which was an yeah. important state, good work. obviously. We've got you to blame for yes. that, thank you. I did, I did some good work, yes. <laughs> partially have me to blame. And I think, you know, that speaks a lot to my idealism coming down to D.C. And he did run, Obama did run on a platform of hope and change. Yeah. And I think over the course of my time in D.C., I've been in D.C. now for 12 years and seeing from the Obama White House to the Trump White House, uh, I think you know, I, I've learned a lot about uh, the promises that politicians might have versus the reality of what they can actually change. Um, and so over the course of my four years at Georgetown, I studied Arabic and Middle Eastern history. And I actually lived in Amman, Jordan wow. uh, in the, it was the fall of 2010, actually leading up to the Arab Spring. The Arab Spring happened wow. just soon after that. And I, I really, while living over there and while studying the languages and the history, I, I learned a lot about how the media portrayed the region and how the media portrayed uh, our incentives for going into these foreign wars versus the reality of the situation on the ground. And after uh, my senior year at Georgetown, I actually interned at Al Jazeera Arabic. And then after I graduated, I went and worked at NBC News, uh, the Washington Bureau. And spending some time working in you know the cable news 
uh, corporate hierarchy was was also a very eye-opening experience. I think I learned a lot about you know why a lot of these narratives get spun up and and why our news cycle gets dominated by certain things. And after that, I went and and worked for Mark Levin as a video editor. Yeah, well. I think that was really that gave me a good flip side of of things. And you know, uh, Levin being a radio guy and uh, starting a digital show called Levin TV, which I was uh, basically on the ground floor of, that was an eye-opening experience in terms of kind of the the actors in our uh, discourse who provide counter narratives to the the mainstream legacy media narratives that that are put forth. And now, having worked at the Daily Caller since May of 2017, I think that's very much one of the roles that the Daily Caller serves in our in our media landscape, which is examining the situations at hand and and you know trying to take a more independent voice to 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 compare that with the the mainstream narrative and you know, we very much i think the daily caller speaks for a lot of the people who, who feel like they don't have a voice in the media right. and when it came to all of the rioting and and the civil unrest that started at the beginning of the summer my video team and i we we really saw an opportunity a, a real vacuum on the ground at these protests because there were these grand narratives that were being spun up about whether or not it was a peaceful atmosphere or whether or not it was the opposite of that. But uh, the reporters who were making, stating these platitudes weren't actually spending that much time on the ground and specifically on the ground after hours. And so I think my, my journey through the media landscape, um, this is, it's, everything is kind of coming full circle as, right. as I'm realizing that the, the corporate uh, media has one agenda and that might not cope with the situation on the ground or with, you know, what's in the best interest of the American people. Yeah. So I think, you know, yeah. my, my, my personal story very much uh, is in line with my, my trajectory through the media landscape, which is, is to go from, from that corporate media, which I think, you know, seeing the way that they craft uh, the narratives that are put forth is very much determined by, um, the corporate advertisers that they have and they they have an interest in serving their needs because they're the ones who pay the bills and going to digital media that's you know we still rely on advertising a lot of them from big corporations but the, the connection is not quite so you're more beholden to the uh to the platforms upon which you're, pl you're 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 posting your content to rather than to the advertisers who are appearing on, for example, your cable news network. Yeah, with with the uh, with all the advertising that's the advertisers' influence on media. I mean, would you say it's, it's far fetched to say that journalism in America is is dying or dead? Well, I think I think that journalism in America is is undergoing a major shift, mm -hmm. and I, I don't necessarily. I think that maybe the old the old way of doing things is dying or dead, but. I think you know from those ashes is there's rising a new paradigm and having built the daily callers video program basically from scratch starting in may of 2017 i've definitely learned a lot about how you can monetize this content you know the difficulty of monetizing for example content of showing riots on the ground but an example of, of how you can do that is actually with the subscription model Right. Uh, we have Daily Caller Patriots, which I'll use this opportunity to plug right now. Yeah. But we yeah. provide a lot of content behind a paywall, which doesn't have any advertising on it. So we don't have to rely on the ad dollars. We're actually going appealing directly to the mm -hmm. consumers of the content. And basically, we use that to fund a lot of our trips to Portland and Chaz. And 
yeah. we've actually come up with some creative ways of of you know being out at these riots with gas mask on saying listen this is the stuff you're not going to see on cable news this is yeah. for patriots only and just showing them what's going on on the ground so i think there are new ways of monetizing the content and although with that being said there are also very new challenges mm -hmm. uh with monetizing content on you know youtube google facebook instagram and, and twitter all those social media platforms obviously have all their own unique challenges in terms yeah. of monetizing content on there and when you say you're, you're getting right in the trenches of where the contents your real world stuff is happening like i mean you were on the ground with kyle Reddinghouse uh when that when that went down yeah and exactly i think that was definitely a learning experience insofar as after the shooting i was right there but i saw the the narratives that were being spun up within hours of the shooting as to you know everybody had an agenda they they were projecting what they yeah. wanted rittenhouse to be um rather than focusing on the people who were there the people who spoke to him i happened to interview him just about approximately 15 minutes before the shooting itself and i was right there at the time of the first shooting and uh you know it was it was interesting to see which media outlets reached out to me initially which ones it took some time and which ones, you know, just outright ignored uh, the testimony that I had. I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide, with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org to learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is MightyOaksPrograms.org. When we talked um, to you initially, it was about you know, not not just that, but situations like that. And I think a lot of it was it was because it was such an anomaly to most people. We just saw it happening, and we wanted to get kind of your firsthand opinion, uh, perspective of what was happening. But most people believed, I think, a couple of months ago, that this would be a thing that would pass. We'd get through the summer, it would be over. Um, specifically in Portland, because of the fires, it did kind of die down. Uh, apparently, you can want riots and revolution, but also be concerned about your own uh, breathing ability so you stay out of the smoke or whatever i don't know um but then it came back so we're like four months into this thing and clearly it's not just a passing fad and then recently the first presidential debate uh, joe biden said that antifa is not a real thing it's just an idea um i i don't know how to break this down i don't fully understand it can you help us understand who antifa is i mean what what is what we call antifa what is that what is it an organization is it a group of people is it just an idea that young people with nothing to do have co coalesced around? What is Antifa? Yeah, I think it's 
intentionally a difficult uh, group or organization or whatever you want to call it to define. But one thing that's very clear is that in these various cities, there are tactics, there is, you know, it might not be expensive, but there are definitely materials that are being provided. Uh, we see bricks show up just like pallets of bricks. We've seen that happen in multiple cities around the country. Um, Shelby Talcott, my coworker, was in Louisville and she captured some footage of a U-Haul being unloaded with a variety of shields and yeah. different kind of equipment that would aid protesters and uh, defending against law enforcement. So I think there are two things at play here. Number one, the the tactics that are involved, the 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 way that these protesters are organizing is definitely being coordinated uh, centrally somewhere. So there are a lot of group chats over uh, encrypted chat apps like uh, Telegram or Signal. And basically Portland being the best example, because I'd say that that's probably the area where Antifa is most organized. It's clear that each night that the law enforcement brings out a new tactic or a new technique, the protesters are actively organizing to adapt to that. And we saw that in Portland over the course of the time that we were there, you know, uh, protesters started to use leaf blowers. Uh, they started to use heat treated gloves, um, employing tactics that were similar to what we saw in Hong Kong, you know, putting street cones over the tear gas, dumping water on it, and then throwing it back, um, you know, using lacrosse sticks and stuff like that to throw it back. And obviously the shields using Roman style turtling techniques to, to avoid the, the flashbangs and the pepper balls. And so as far as Antifa, whether or not they're an organization or an idea, well, I don't really care what word you use, but what's clear is that they are being organized. Their tactics right. are being organized right. and that there is some degree, although the, you know, the expensive, it's not like there's, you know, millions and millions of dollars being funded uh, funding these these efforts it's it's really doesn't take much so i'm not it's never clear where that where that money is coming from or who's providing it but what is clear is is those pallets of bricks they do show up and, right. and i've seen that in in cities around the country and it's it's troubling to even think of who would be providing that kind of stuff to you know throw at law enforcement to injure law enforcement but uh, it's it's clear that it's it's being provided by by somebody. Yep. And so I I think there is definitely unifying ideology behind Antifa, and there there are unifying tactics that we see around the country. So I'm not sure where it's centralized and how, but there are definitely back channels where uh, these groups are communicating to to coordinate those kind of tactics and uh, where where they're going to meet, uh, you know, those kind of things. Yep. Yeah. I mean I I mean just in the military and doing operations. I mean. Everything, I mean, everything operates around logistics. And uh, I mean, where yeah. these people sleep, how they eat, how they travel. Most of them don't have jobs, so where are they getting the money for this? <laughs> I mean, so, uh, so you know, it really just leaves a question of who's funding some of these efforts. And like you said, it's maybe not a lot of money, but who's funding it and who's organizing it. But one of the things you mentioned is like communication of uh, literature. And, it, you know, because the word Antifa 
anti-fascist is obviously not who they are because <laughs> there's no more fascist group yeah. in the country right now than, than Antifa at, uh, as a, oppressing uh, you know, freedom of speech and people's opinions and ideologies. But they ha- anytime I've seen around the world or, where I've, you know, in places I've been around the world, there has to be a unifying like statement or mission or something that draws people together. And it, it, is there any reason like given for them to assemble as, as Antifa? I mean, such as an oppression of the black community or anti-police. Like, what's what's the motivating like? If there was a tagline to to lure people in, what, what are they trying to accomplish? Yeah, right? what, yeah what are they trying yeah. to accomplish? How are they trying to get? What are they trying to get people behind? Absolutely, it's interesting because at these protests, like Portland, being Portland's just the best example because you know this is where these kind of things have been the most become the most solidified and organized over the last four years, but. You'll see the the Black Lives Matter uh, protesters and and the leaders of these protests get up with the megaphones, uh, you know, in front of the federal fence when there was that fixation on the federal courthouse over the summertime, and say, "I'm not going to touch that fence. Like it doesn't do us any good to to shake that fence. It doesn't do our cause any good to shake that fence because because when they come when we're violent, they're going to be violent. And so if we can be peaceful and we can just peacefully protest and avoid shaking and trying to break that fence then they won't come out and and we'll we'll get our goal of you know um not falling into that trap of being you know violent rioters and instead being peaceful protesters so you definitely see that sentiment at all of the protests that we've been to around the country there are people who genuinely feel that they they're out there to to peacefully protest now the important difference there is that's that's when all the the cable news folks are on the ground and they're reporting, but after 12 a.m., that's a whole different story. And I think it, it doesn't take many of these bad actors to really descend the situation into chaos. And so I think what Antifa's goal would be, if, if, if their tagline is anything, it'd be ACAB, all cops are bastards. And you see a lot of the Antifa, you see a lot of folks with little Antifa flags on their backpacks, but what's often, often accompanying that is, is the ACAB acronym and so i think that the the kind of congruence between the black lives matter movement and this idea that law enforcement are the enemy i think that's really the kind of the the one area where antifa and black lives matter overlap and antifa is incredibly effective at co-opting that message into uh from you know well there's problems with the justice system and they need to be reformed that's why we're out here peacefully protesting to well, we should confront the police directly. Mm. And so I think that, you know, obviously there are also Black Lives Matter activists who are intent upon confronting the police um, with violence as well. But I think that Antifa's overall, from what I've seen around the country, are much more keen on that than the general run-of-the-mill Black Lives Matter protester. So I think that they're just very good at using that all cops are bastards tagline and and chanting it and, and getting the crowd uh, in line with the, with their goal, which is to incite, uh, to provoke the police, to bring the police out, to in- invite that violence, and to make a spectacle of it for all the country to see. Do you um, do you think that there is an event that will cause this to stop? I, I think our entire country is holding its breath till the end of the year because somehow we think that January first, coronavirus goes away, the riots go away, everything gets back to normal. Uh, I'm, I, I don't think that's true, but what's the event or what's the thing that will bring these riots, uh, you know, to an end? 
It's interesting. That's, that's a good question. And I think actually after Kenosha and some of the subsequent violence immediately thereafter, obviously there was a, a Trump supporter who was shot in Portland uh, within a week or two of right. that event. I think the combination of, of that violence all coming to a head, there there was polling in September that indicated to Democrats that this, you know, this protesting, this rioting, whatever you want to call it, that the American people were were fed up with it and that they didn't view any kind of encouragement or any kind of, um, you know, excusing the violence favorably. And so actually I, we did see a lull and we have seen a bit of a lull in terms of the actually, you know, violent protests that are bubbling up. And, and I don't know if it's a coincidence. I'm not sure if, you know, there, there has been uh, some kind of, uh, I don't know, declaration that all these groups should stop with the violent tactics because it's not helping anybody. Right. But um, they both happen at about the same time. And, and we have seen a bit of a lull. Well, now with that being said, I think the election is a different story. Obviously, we're only two weeks away now. So if depending on who wins that election, I think that we could see definitely a resurgence of the violence that we saw over the summer and, and perhaps something worse. Um, but for now, I, I think definitely things have uh, settled down a little bit. At least it's yeah. all it's all relative, of course. But Well, th- things are pretty crazy and, you know, as some of the things you're involved in in the country right now. But outside of the things that we talked about, what's really on your on your radar right now? Like what's what's happening in the world? Are the things that we should be aware of that's not mainstream? I think Portland is is definitely one thing that everybody should be aware of. That's that's no longer mainstream. I think it was definitely the talk of the news cycle for for a while there. You know, when they were attacking the federal courthouse and and when we were there, I was recently there uh, at the end of September. And the thing that's happening now is they're they're attacking much more of the residential neighborhoods rather than you know confronting that the fence around the federal courthouse and that poses a major problem actually for covering that because it's a smaller group uh they're much more militant they're much more aware of the negative drawbacks of having press around and people filming them and so in terms of actually covering what's happening there um it's it's becoming increasingly difficult especially as these smaller groups become more militant in these residential neighborhoods but the the tactics there and the implications of them going into neighborhoods and pulling people out of their homes uh and confronting them in that way i think that that's actually a very scary precedent that's being set and the national media definitely isn't paying attention to that right and it's partially because folks like us uh we're not there and it, it's i've talked to a lot of the people um, you know, from uh, Elijah Schaefer from The Blaze, uh, Drew Hernandez, who's an independent journalist, um, Brendan Kutenschwager, uh, and some of my colleagues, Jorge Ventura, Shelby Talcott. It's it's really, really dangerous out there to try to uh, document what's going on. And I think that, that that's something that nobody's really paying attention to right now. But uh, the tactics that are being employed out there and the abuse that the police are facing with all of the, I saw a lot of paint. The tactics have changed, you know, in, since I was there in July to September, they're throwing paint bombs and, and bombs with feces and urine in them. And we had a couple of those explode next to us. And it, it doesn't take much investigating yeah. to know uh, what's in those things. When you see them explode, the paint, um, 
you know, splashes all over the ground and you can obviously smell uh, the smell pretty easily. So their, their tactics are becoming more advanced. They're becoming more ruthless and the groups are, are smaller and, and they're terrorizing these neighborhoods now. So um, mm. I think that's definitely something that's being overlooked. Uh, you do a lot of good work. How can people follow what you do and, uh, you know, really, I guess, follow along? Because you know, as you mentioned, this is something that mainstream media is not reporting to us. Mm. Uh, where can people watch your work or where can people learn more about what's actually happening <laughs> in the world? Yeah, you can, you can follow me on Twitter at Richie McGinnis, R-I-C-H-I-E-M-C-G-I-N-N-I-S-S. And then also our video team's work. I mean, we've been doing a, a ton of work just around the country. <laughs> Like I mentioned, Jorge Ventura and Shelby Talcott uh, really heading it up. And you can go to youtube.com slash dailycaller or dailycaller.com for more of that. And we'll continue to, to monitor you know, what's going around, going on. Uh, obviously, the ACB hearings were actually a little bit more timid than, than we thought that they would be uh, protest-wise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was some confrontations between some uh, pro, pro-life protesters and some folks in the Women's March over the weekend but nothing compared to the violence that we saw over the summer. So I, I would, you know, that, that hearing is coming up. On, I mean, sorry, that her, her confirmation vote, I believe, is coming up on Thursday. So we're going to be monitoring D.C. for that. Um, and then moving forward, obviously, the election is just a few weeks away. Right. So we'll be on the ground in D.C. and wherever else things what's may the, pop off. What's the other one you were talking about, American Patriots? Uh, yeah, so Daily Caller Patriots. Basically, if you go to our website, a lot of the content on there is exclusively for Patriots. So if you go to our website, you know, you just, you just click around the front page, you'll see uh, not only ads for the Patriots, but articles that you click on that you won't be able to access unless you unless yeah. you uh, subscribe. Right on. Awesome, awesome. man. Thanks, yeah. Richie. Really appreciate your work. Stay safe, and uh, we'll have you back on soon. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks yeah, a lot. Absolutely. Another great conversation with Richie. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He, he's incredible because he doesn't just uh, – sit and read the news and the reporters. He's out there doing it. He's out there doing it. He's getting the real facts on the ground yep. and, uh, I mean, and bringing it to the American people. Yeah, and you, you made this point that it's important that we support people like him. Yes. So that kind of news can can continue to happen. Well, I mean, either the American people are going to support uh, people like him or big big advertisers will. Right. And they'll push the agenda. And yep. uh, so if we want to get real news, which I think most people are kind of crying for right now, then we need to support people like him or do independent journalists. Uh, you know, pay a few bucks to yeah. join their uh, yeah. their platforms and uh, and get real news and keep them funded, keep them away from big big advertisers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so much good information. Uh, appreciate his insight. But we'll give you our situation report for today. Some tidbits that you can take with you from what we just talked about. Uh, the first thing is this, and this is what we just alluded to. Media, although it's not dying, Richie made this point, it is certainly changing. It's changing in a number of ways. What we have typically looked at as the media, the big networks has really come down to individuals on the ground with a camera reporting what's actually happening. And this is how we know what's actually happening, how we get beneath the headlines, how we figure out what's really going on. It is changing, and it's changing because those individuals, those independent reporters are not beholden to big advertisers. They are supported by people like you and me. So it's changing, and we need to continue to support folks like that. 
Number two, though, specific to Antifa, again, as difficult as it is to pin down exactly what Antifa is, I like what Richie said, whether it's an idea or an organization, it is certainly being organized. We don't know who's doing that, but we know that the logistics are in place, the funding is in place, and it is being organized for a purpose. We have to understand that as well. It's not simply an idea that is abstract. It's something that's being directed by someone, maybe many someones, but there are individuals pulling the strings. Uh, The third thing that we can and again, great point that we ended on today is this. Even though network news may not want to report on this anymore because it's becoming less and less popular, there's still things happening. Uh, Richie talked about Portland and some of the, the riots and some of uh, just the stuff that's happening in Portland with organizations like Antifa and others. It's still happening. Whether we have it reported to us on nightly news or not, it's still taking place. We need to keep our eyes and ears open. And that is your situation report. So much good stuff. Great show. Uh, uh, man, I pray for Richie yeah. and his team. Uh, He's just out there out, doing they're it. They're out there doing it, and they put themselves in harm's way every day to make sure that we get the news, uh, yeah. uh, the truth in, on the ground news. Yeah, thankful for people like him out there out there doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you next week. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.